Thanks so much for joining us today. I think, uh, as Rick mentioned, if you're here, somehow you knew it was Sunday. Well done. Uh, it's so good to see so many of you out again after that great Christmas Eve service together. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, working predominantly with our youth and kids. Well, we have a great kids team who are hanging out with our kids and Suzanne and Clara, and then Gemma's in the room with the middle schoolers too. They're just rocking it. Uh, it's so good. So I uh, want to begin, yeah, we, we look back at certain times in our lives. There are certain times where it's just natural to look back and look forward. And what I find when I look back is that there's things I want to grip my hands into and cling to, to bring forward with me into what is to come. But there's also times that there are painful things where if I could let go of them, if I could loosen their grip on me, I would feel much lighter moving forward. This morning, as Rick mentioned, we're going to engage in an ancient practice called the prayer of examine. Uh, might be familiar to some of you. It's, it's, it's quite uh, common in its questions, but maybe you might not be familiar with its title. Uh, and we're going to look at both some of the good and the bad. And so this morning will feel a little bit different. I've got kind of a mini sermon uh, to intro us to this idea of gratitude and the importance of that and to introduce us to the prayer of examine, and then we'll actually engage in the prayer of examine. So let me get, begin with this. Something you might not know about Alicia and I's story, my wife and I. Uh, seven years ago, we were starting the foster care and adoption journey that is a part of our family's story. We took many courses. <laughs> There's a lot of training, a lot of work, a lot of videos to watch, and it's not an easy process to become a foster parent. And by all means, it shouldn't be easy. I'll never forget the stories. They would share stories from social workers and foster parents and even students, kids who would come through the foster system. They were stories that would break your heart. They're the kind of stories that would want you to pick up a hammer and go to Home Depot and see how you could make more bedrooms into your house to take in even more kids. Heartbreaking stories. One of the stories that stuck with me that we had repeated over and over again was the stories of kids hoarding food. And you may wonder, well, why would they do that? And when you learn of the why, it makes a whole lot of sense. See, for many reasons, kids come into the foster system. Many of them have experienced some level of neglect and poverty. And so even though they've entered into a safe home, even though there is abundance, the fridge is full, the pantry is full, they have free access, you can lay out the drawers that they can grab snacks from anytime they want. Still, we were told, do not be surprised when you discover food under their bed, behind the dresser in the closet. See, what becomes so ingrained in little minds is that I've experienced a day where there wasn't enough and I'll likely experience that again. They've learned the hard way that the inevitable is scarcity. 
I came across a story in Ken Shigematsu's book, Survival Guide for the Soul, and it immediately resonated deeply within me because of this idea of hoarding food that has stuck with me and bothered me ever since that training seven years ago. The story begins with Rachel, a young girl who was learning from her grandmother how to make bread. It's a beautiful picture. As they make bread together, the grandmother tells Rachel about tummy bread, which fills our tummies, and heart bread, which fills our hearts. The grandmother tells Rachel that when she was a little girl, she lived in Europe during the war. Like a lot of other children, she lost her parents in her home and became very hungry. Eventually, she was given shelter in a refugee home, and the adults there were oh so loving and kind. They accepted her with open arms. But she and the other children had trouble sleeping at night because they remembered their homeless and hungry days, and they feared that one day they might not have enough to eat just like they had experienced the day before. Until one of the wise adults came up with the idea to give each of the children a chunk of bread to hold at bedtime. With this bread held tightly in little hands, the children slept peacefully. You see, what the bread did for these children was remind them that I ate today, I will eat again tomorrow. So church, we sit here on the last day of 2023 And we look ahead to the year to come, and I don't know what emotions are stirring for you. I can imagine there's many of them as you look back and look forward. But the thing I wonder is what kind of bread might our Heavenly Father want to place in your hands today that will allow you to rest in His peace and step forward with His confidence? I want to read to you from 1 Thessalonians 5. 16 to 18, may it be an anthem for us as followers of Jesus. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. A number of years ago, I was introduced to this spiritual practice we've already mentioned called the Prayer of Examine. It's a gratitude-building, joy-inducing discipline created by a 16th century Spanish priest named Ignatius of Loyola. It's a prayer practice that's been done by followers of Jesus all over the world for at least the past five centuries. It's designed to be done at the end of the day. It's a process by which we allow the past 24 hours to play before our mind's eyes like a movie, reviewing its ups and downs, asking ourselves, for what moment am I most grateful? Or put another way, where did I feel most alive? And we thank our Heavenly Father for these good things. We also ask, for what moment am I least grateful? What was my lowest point? Where did I feel most sad, anxious, frustrated, angry? And we lift those things up to God and experience his healing touch. Ken Shigematsu, who I mentioned already, I've learned a lot from him regarding this practice, writes, here's why this is so powerful as a gratitude discipline church. Here's what he says. Recounting how God has fed our bodies and our hearts is like holding bread in our hands. We look at what God has done, and we say, I was fed today, 
God will feed me tomorrow. And as we stand on the year, the end of a year, we say, I was fed this year. God was present this year. God gifted me good things this year. God will feed me again next year. What bread might our heavenly Father want to put in your hands so that you can enter into this next year with his peace, his clarity, his confidence? It's a very simple practice. In fact, as I've engaged in it, it feels so repetitive, so childlike, that it makes me wonder, could this actually be shifting anything inside of myself? And like any discipline, you do it again, and you repeat it, and you do it again, and you do it again, and you walk the process, and you ask the questions, and you hold those things before God, what you discover is that there is a mighty shift happening at a soul level. The first beautiful mystery of the practice of examine is that as you engage in it, naming the things you are grateful for, you begin to live a life more joy-filled. The beautiful mystery is that the more we give thanks for what has happened, the more we begin to notice in the moment what is happening. The more we become people who savor joy. And couldn't we all use a little more joy in our lives? G.K. Chesterton called joy the gigantic secret of the Christian. And at times I've read these passages about joy like, always be joyful. This resounding command from Paul as he gives his last words, always be joyful. And it feels like this unattainable, can't quite get my fingers around it promise. Because it's a promise from God that we can be joyful. Let me assure you, if you've ever felt like it was some far off unattainable thing, you're probably not alone. Sometimes I read 1 Thessalonians, always be joyful and wonder, where have I gone astray? Like, how, how, how do I feel so lacking in this thing that has been promised and gifted to me, available to me as a follower of Jesus? Well, first of all, it's possible that we have a pretty skewed idea of what joy truly is, right? We all know that person that one we'd say is joy-filled, and by that we really mean that they are a uh, go-lucky, bubbly, always seeing the positive, bless their hearts kind of person, and bless you if that is you, we need you in our lives. But that's not necessarily what joy is, true biblical Christian joy. I believe joy is a choice we make every day to recognize that everything is a gift from God, that we don't deserve anything. Author Ann Voskamp put it this way, when I realize that it is not God who is in my debt, but I who am in his great debt, then and only then do I begin to recognize everything as a gift from above. What do you think it would change if you and I were to recognize that everything, from the chance to wake up to a new day this morning, 
to the breath we just inhaled, if it was all a gift from God, what could that change? If we stepped into each day with deep-rooted gratitude. According to the research, it could change an awful lot. Research shows us that grateful people experience a 25% spike in alertness and energy, and they sleep better too. One Harvard psychologist suggests that we can train our brains to become more grateful by setting aside just five minutes a day for practicing gratitude. There was a study he relied on. He had people spend five minutes every day at the same time every day, writing down just three things they were thankful for. Just three. They didn't have to be big, but they had to be concrete. At the end of one month, the researchers followed up and found that those who did this practice, including those who stopped after just one week of three things a day, same place, same time, every day, three things a day, stopped after one week, were happier and less depressed. Now get this. After three months, those who practiced gratitude for just one week were still measured as being more joyful and more content. But it didn't stop at three. At six months, they were still happier, less anxious, less depressed. This is something our world needs. I need to practice gratitude. The simple practice of naming what you're thankful for can prime the mind to see the good gifts in the everyday moments of life. We know this, don't we? What we think about in our mind, we see more often. This fall, I was, I won't say I was in the market for. I was dreaming of a new car, okay? Uh, it, yeah, I was just dreaming about it. I had it picked out. I wasn't picky on the color, but I had the model, the year. I was looking at it on Castanet, seeing what there was they were going for and was horrified every time I saw one. Uh, but what did I see everywhere I drove? <laughs> that car! <laughs> like, the used car dealerships were all in cahoots. Like, they had mapped out my journey from home to kids' school to work here at church and home again. And, like, they were like, all right, send out the red one. Send out the black one. Like, there was some coordinated attack to convince me that if everybody's driving this car, then so ought I to be as well. What we fill our mind with is what our eyes will see. The more you are thankful, the more you are able to find the things to be thankful for. The more you will be grateful and joyful, content, no matter what you experience. And hear me clearly, I'm not saying the more thankful you are, the more good will come your way, as if it's a negotiation with God of I'll name these three things and then you'll fill that bucket even more. Rather, it's recognizing that he is not in our grasp, but every good thing we have comes from him. The chance to wake up this morning, the steam of the coffee from the cup filling our senses, 
the patter of kids running down the stairs to say good morning on Christmas Day. Another year, another gift. Now, I think it's important to say that you could practice gratitude. You could become a more joy-filled person and still live a life completely distanced from Jesus. It's important in a room full of followers of Jesus or people somewhere along a journey of exploring what it could look like to be a follower of Jesus that we say we take gratitude, but who we are postured to words makes all the difference. It's not just becoming a happier, thankful person. Who we direct our gratitude towards matters. Here's where Christian gratitude gets really good, church. If we direct our gratitude towards God, what we see in Scripture is that gratitude and praise, thanksgiving, can draw you into an awareness of the very real presence of God like little else can. Psalm 104, enter his gates, his presence, one could say, with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Psalm 22.3 tells us that God mysteriously inhabits the praises of his people. When we give thanks to God for the gifts found within each day, what we will discover is that we become more aware of just how present he is and has been all along. Christ at work. And that's the second gift of the examine. The first is a more joy-filled life as we engage in the discipline of naming the things we're thankful for. And the second is a byproduct of this for Christ's followers, and it's an awareness of the very real presence of God. You see, we start the prayer of examine by, what am I grateful for? But one of the key questions we go on to ask is not only what am I thankful for today, this past year, where did I experience the most joy, but to go on and ask where did I feel the closest to God today? And where did I feel the furthest? Where was I most able to sense the nearness of the Father and at what points did I feel the relationship was broken? Let's return to the passage we looked at early on in our time together, 1 Thessalonians. In it, there is a key for followers of Jesus. Verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians. Always be joyful, never stop praying. But then did you hear it? Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Oh, when you walk in step with the will of the Father, you will see him all around. One of the best disciplines I know to tune our eyes to see God at work all around us is to foster a sense of gratitude through the prayer of examine. Here's what it's meant to me. I was chatting with a pastor friend who, funny enough, was also preaching on the prayer of examine this morning at another church in Kelowna. Uh, and we were sharing kind of where we, we've sensed God was leading us. And she said, so what role has the examine played in your life? You know, it, uh, it must be when you're at your best, right? When you feel like you're most connected to God, that's 
when you turn to the prayer of exam, and I was like, actually, it's the exact opposite. For me, the prayer of examine has been something I turn to in my darkest days. I've shared with the youth of our church about my struggle with anxiety and seasons of depression. It's been in some of my darkest days as I claw for air that I grab onto the discipline like the examine to look outside myself to anchor myself to something that feels solid, secure, trustworthy in a world that is swirling. It has been a lifeline for me when things were at their darkest. Maybe you can relate. Maybe 2023 has felt like a whole year of darkness. One hit after another coming your way. And you wonder, what could I possibly be grateful for this year? The prayer of examine could be a gift, a lifeline for you. But perhaps you're ending 2023 on a high note. After all, what's COVID? That's in the past. Maybe you're ending on such a high note that you think you could go on for pages of what there is to be grateful for. And I hope you could. Because isn't this true? Listen to this, church. That even on the mountaintops, never more than on the mountaintops, do we need a practice that grounds us in the reminder that every good gift is not of our own fabrication but comes from our Heavenly Father. Oh, we need this at our lowest and on the mountaintops. So here's what I want to do in our remaining time together. I want to actually lead you through the process known as the prayer of examine practiced by Christians for centuries. This might be unfamiliar to some of you. This might be incredibly familiar to others. Youth in the room, you know the language of pits and peaks. We do this at almost the start of every single small group where you get to share around the circle what was the best part of your week, what was the lowest part of your week. Pits and peaks, we call it. This is Pits and Peaks 2.0, where we take it a little step further into maturity and dive a little bit deeper, holding up things before a good Heavenly Father saying, what might you have to say about this? If this feels too, too uncomfortable for you, full permission to check out for a few moments. Rest up for the night ahead. If you're going to make it past 8 o'clock, I will not be. Let's make 8 o'clock our family's new year. But for those of us who want to engage in this, this could be the moment that things begin to shift in our lives towards gratitude, towards joy, towards a fuller awareness of his very real presence. So as comfortable as you can get on our pews, would you make yourself comfortable? We posture ourselves to connect with and receive from God. Would you begin to take deep breaths in and out? Breathe deep into your belly. Pause and breathe out. 
As you breathe in and out, would you remember that God's love is with you? That his presence was with you when you woke up, as you made your way here to church, and is here in the room. That he was thinking of you before this moment. In fact, before you had any conscious thought this morning, his love and his eyes were upon you. You might want to close your eyes or pick something to focus on in the room here. As you're there, resting in God's presence, look back on your year, inviting the Holy Spirit to bring to the surface that which he wants to. Allow some of the year's biggest moments to play before your eyes like a movie. As those things come across your mind, would you look at the year through the lens of gratitude? What are the few, the top few things that you want to thank God for from this year? The simple provision of a cozy bed to tuck into at the end of each night. Or perhaps for that person, for the relationships, the people that stood by you through things, the highs and lows, or the people who entered your story this year and made such an impact in such a short time. Would you recall the simple everyday pleasures and give thanks to God for them? After you've given thanks, I want you to reflect on what you are least grateful for this year. This might feel foreign in a world where, in a church culture, where we always try to see the good or at least share or speak of the good but it's important to hold both things in open hands before the Father and say, I invite your healing touch.
and can I just give you permission to maybe hold that thing in your hands for just a moment? But it might feel so weighty that you need to just put it back on the shelf for now. Trusting that God is journeying with you and is bringing his healing touch even when it feels too much for you to look long into. Once you've looked at what you're most and least grateful for, I want you to recall when you felt most alive. What was the moment where you said, oh, that was life and life to the full. And I want you to discover how God was present, active in that moment. And I wonder if you think of this question, if it's the same moment or not. When were you most connected to God? Most aware of his very real presence in your life, his activity at work all around you. And you can praise God for pulling back that curtain to see him more clearly. And then I want you to think about when you felt furthest from God. The moment, the season, where maybe you asked some of your biggest questions of God. God, how? Where? Why? Where did you feel furthest? And would you ask God to reveal what part you had to play in creating the sense of distance in your relationship with him? And finally, as we begin to close our time together, we look at the year ahead. We look to tomorrow. Notice how you feel about it. Are you happy? Anxious? Nervous? Excited? What will the next year hold? How will God move in you, through you? Who might God want to draw into a loving relationship with him through you?
Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for being with us in this time. Thank you, God, that you are a God we can trust to hold. As we hold in our hands, you wrap your hands around ours and hold with us big moments, whole seasons, God, both of the good and the ugly, the pit and the peak. God, that you are a God who longs for us to walk in an awareness of your presence. We worship you and adore you. Would you pull back the curtain in our lives so that we might see more clearly just how active you are? In Jesus' name, amen. You might feel like that was a long time or like that was not nearly enough time and that's okay. What I would encourage you to do is to pick up this practice again and again and again. A couple of months ago, I started going to the gym. At first I was sore, very sore. <laughs> Didn't want to go again, but then I did. I got in the car, I drove, I went to the gym. And the sore started to go away. And then I found myself, which I only realized after a break from the gym this past week as all routines were thrown out the window, that I was missing the feeling of the gym. Trust me, it didn't happen immediately. <laughs> that was a slow process. But over time, I started to notice this shift deep within myself. So we've just done a gratitude practice together. You aren't likely to notice. You might go through your day today and, say, and notice a couple more things, and what a gift from God that would be to notice more things to be thankful for. But you probably won't, I'm sorry to say, have long-lasting joy bubbling over for the rest of your week because of the time we spent in gratitude this morning. But, but if you were to choose to practice gratitude at the end of today, the end of tomorrow, the end of the next day, the end of the next day, you will find yourself more grateful, more joyful, and most importantly, more connected with your heavenly Father. The prayer of examine, it's meant to be done at the close of every day as a way to fill one's mind with the things we know we should be thinking about and we want to be thinking about, but it takes discipline to get there and you fill your mind before putting your mind to rest for the day. It's a way of opening up your hands ready to receive whatever bread our good Heavenly Father desires to place in our hands so that we can sleep in peace. And isn't that what all spiritual disciplines are meant to do, is to posture us with this posture, whether on our knees or face down, hands open, ready to receive from God? This is just one practice that I hope is a gift for you, a lifeline on the mountaintops or in the valleys that I've tried to walk us through this morning. I once heard spiritual disciplines talked about like a sunrise. See, sometimes we think that 
our part in engaging in spiritual disciplines is to kind of stir up, that as if we make the sun rise. And oh, that's so far from the truth. Rather, our spiritual disciplines is like the discipline of getting out of bed, opening the door, stepping outside, and looking up at the horizon. If you never engage in the discipline of opening the door and looking up at the horizon, you will miss every single sunrise. We don't make the sun rise, but you'll miss it every time if you don't open the door and look at the horizon. I've created a little prayer of examine card that the ushers will have at the doors on your way out that is just a version of what we've walked through together today that might be helpful for you to tuck into your Bible, and I challenge you to practice it and see what happens. Remember the study? Those who practice thankfulness for even just a week were happier six months later than those who didn't. What could change in you if you start 2024 with gratitude? 